When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Oregonian Sports Podcast. I'm Bill Orem. Hey, if you're here, you enjoy listening to me and others from the Oregonian talk about sports in the great state of Oregon, beavers, ducks, blazers, timbers, thorns, high schools, then you will love our new texting service. All you have to do to receive text messages from myself, Nick Daschle, James Crepia, Joe Freeman, Nick Strang, Ryan Clark, shoot a text to 503-386-0095. And for two weeks, you will get free text messages every day from all of us here at the Oregonian Sports. That's 503-386-0095. That's a free two-week trial. And after that, just $3.99 a month. $3.99 a month if you text 503-386-0095. Can't recommend this service enough because you get to hear from not only me, but also my great colleagues, including Nick Daschle. And Nick, by the way, is our guest today on the Oregonian Sports Podcast, here to break down the Beavers game this weekend against Stanford. Seven and two Beavers, I should say, coming off a win against Colorado with uh, three pretty big weeks ahead of them. And maybe even, if things break right, a trip to the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas. Nick, how are we doing today? I'm just great. Did you need more? Did you need more of a, a need more explanation, or or need to or whatnot, or uh, are we here so to talk? Nick, are, we, are, we, are, we, are we here to talk about the Beavers, or or me going to Les Mis last night? I do actually. You know what? I'm glad you said that. How did you enjoy Les Mis at uh, at Keller Auditorium on a Tuesday night? You know the the, the music's good. I'm I'm a little fuzzy on the storyline, which I'm which I'm not supposed to say because you know everybody thinks it's the greatest musical ever. And but the music was great. I, I and the sets were great. And I guess if I if I if I was a little deeper in it, I'd probably the the storyline was a little fuzzy to me, so I have to read up on it. And don't look at me like Val that. John stole. Valjean stole a loaf of bread. He spends his life in shackles. Javert, Inspector Javert, is is in charge of the the work crew he's on. He escapes. He chases him across the land for years and years. In that time, Jean Valjean meets a dying prostitute named Fantine. Fantine has a daughter named Cosette, who she has given up to a, a crazy couple that runs an inn um, and that, and that coast, that's, uh, you know, the uh, uh, master of the house, keeper of that guy. So then Jean Valjean goes and rescues Cosette and takes him as his own daughter. And he, and he matriculates through life and becomes the mayor of his town. But then Javert finds him. And then they have the confrontation. Jean Valjean. No, that's not it. It's, uh, Monsieur Le Maire, we see each other plain. That one. Um, and then Javert realizes how horrible it was that he has uh, devoted his life to trying to track down Jean Valjean. So then he jumps to his death 
into the river. <laughs> Meanwhile, the French Revolution is happening, and we get a whole new cast of characters. Little people do. And then boom! And then you're just like, no, not the little boy. But then also, so then Cosette is grown and she's fallen in love with a revolutionary. But then unfortunately, Jean Valjean falls ill and Jean Valjean is dying. And he tells Marius the story. And then Cosette comes and they all love each other at the end. And I haven't even gotten to Eponine on my own pretending he's be but that is also a very powerful storyline and we just don't even have time to get to that so anyway well let me ask you this so were, were you that favorite were you that up on, were you uh, were you that up on Les Mis the first time you saw it no the first time you I saw not. Les Mis was also at Keller Auditorium I feel like to my memory it was in French but I was very young it's also possible it wasn't in French and it just seemed like French to me at the time. <laughs> but I love Les Mis. Les Mis is tremendous. Les Mis is, um, is the gold standard of uh, ambitious theater, obviously, of that uh, style of, of, of musical theater. And obviously, musical theater has been reinvented reinvent many, many times, but um, I've seen some great productions of Les Mis. And, Les, Les, Mis. and Les Mis rhymes with another one of your favorites, Grizz. Kind of one. Go Grizz, absolutely. The University of Montana. Yeah. All right, we've side so We've got way off the way off the exit here, so we better veer this thing back onto I five. Do you think? I mean, do you think though that like what is what is the most powerful number in Les Mis in your opinion? Because I think there's probably like there's a few contenders. I mean, obviously, um, I dreamed a dream. You know, we've all heard Susan Boyle's rendition, but I mean, that's obviously a showstopper. On my own is a showstopper. Castle on a Cloud is a showstopper. Master of the House is probably the most fun. Um, but also the confrontation between Javert and, and Valjean, I think, is almost maybe the um, uh, the dramatic uh, peak of, of the show. Was there a moment that just grabbed I, you I mean, as I, I, somebody I, wasn't familiar? I can't, I can't say that I can rattle off the, 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 the tunes like you can. I, 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 I should have really done a lot of research on this before I went last night because... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll have to see it again. I just say that. I know I've seen I've seen several. So I go I go to I go to a half a dozen musicals a year. I'm 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 just not your I, I'm I I might be semi cultured. You know what else I saw it there? Uh, you know what else I saw at Les Mis last night was University of Portland athletic director Scott Lycom. We talked about oh. how cultured we were. Uh, the the pilot women had a huge win in their season opener, basketball season opener against San Diego State. The pilot men, I believe, are ranked in the top fifteen as they wrap up wrap up their uh, soccer season. Lots to talk about with the pilots there. Um, what I would say, Nick, about Les Mis, watch the watch the film version, the the um, the Hugh Jackman, Anne Hathaway version. Um, I mean, there's there's it's not perfect, right? I mean, the, the I mean, kind of famously casting Russell Crowe as Javert is was curious and he can't sing which would not be a huge um would not be disqualifying for most roles that russell crowe has done but for inspector javert i think you know certainly disqualifying and um you know especially kind of takes some of the weight out of uh, the suicide scene frankly um but in terms of understanding the story i think seeing it cinematically with like much more complete sets where and maybe more visual cues um really helps and i mean sasha baron cohen 
in that is just a treat along with Helena Bonham Carter you know as the innkeepers they are uh they're delightful it's fun and so I recommend you I mean mean, I've uh, seen probably 20 musicals at at Keller in the last two and a half years maybe I'd say the music from this one was probably number one I mean it was just the singing I mean spectacular Uh, and that's your beaver podcast for this week sports fan (laughs) I was going to say, how long could we milk this? All right. So uh, <laughs> what's next on the musical uh, docket, by the way? What's Lion King. next? The Lion King. Oh, I, oh, I think I'm going to that. I think my mom is uh, taking our taking our uh, seven-year-old. She and, bought, uh, she bought extra and seats so I could take well. my daughter and, and, her, and her boyfriend. So, yeah, we've. Do do you understand the plot of of Lion King, and do you know that it is a it is a um, it's based on Hamlet by William Shakespeare? Bill, come on! What my daughter? I'm not making oldest, this up. My oldest daughter is like the number one fan of all things Disney. I've been to Disneyland oh uh, twenty times. If there's one thing I know, it's Disney stuff. So. Uh, okay, so what is the best number in the Lion King? Do you think? I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I. I mean, I like. I know. Uh, I'd have to. I'd have to go through the whole thing to, to to know. I mean, I haven't seen the musical, but I've seen. Yeah, I've seen. Obviously, seen. Yeah, the film. The yeah. film. Um, uh, I was going to ask. I was going to ask. I mean, the Hakuna Matata is obviously a good. Is is obviously a good one. But. Hakuna Matata. Yeah. What a wonderful phrase! No, I mean the like the best the best song in um in Lion King and especially the stage version when once you see it the way that it's pres- presented is certainly the Circle of Life. But um, oh sure, yeah, love tonight, especially the single version by Elton John. I just can't wait to be king. Um, man, th- there's some bops in Lion King, and so I'm excited for you to see it. I think I'm gonna get out there as well. So we're gonna have to compare notes on a future podcast. Um. All right. I guess we need to talk about the beavers. Should we do it? I guess. All right. <laughs> what? Where is the excitement? The, the beavers seven are seven and two. The seven and two Oregon State Beavers. They're up to twelfth in the college football playoff ranking after uh, after after beating Colorado. And by the way, you know Jonathan Smith made a good point, and I I think it just bears repeating. You know, not only did um, did uh, did Colorado not really move the ball or have any success offensively. This is a hard pivot from our musical talk to now like Oregon state's defense, (laughs) but not only did they not have any success moving the ball until the fourth quarter, I think they were at 77, 78 yards through three, 78 yards after three. Um, Just very close to 76 trombones from Meredith Wilson's, the music man. But, um, but you know, Colorado had five points at that up to that time. And you really couldn't blame any of those on the defense, right? The The field goal that Colorado got was the result of a turnover in the red zone. And then Oregon State's defense got a three and out. So Colorado kicked the field goal. And then it was the two-point conversion, the botched two-point conversion that uh, got run back, you know, 100 yards uh, by the Buffs as well. So, um, you know, Oregon State's defense, I would say, has really responded to the two losses this year. You know, coming off of Washington State goes home and really shows out against Utah, um, which is probably the win of the year for the Beavers so far. And then after the loss at Arizona, um, that defense really showed up against Colorado. And by the way, I mean, I think we were both sort of of the mind. 
Colorado might have some success throwing against the Beavers just because the DBs have been have been um, a little inconsistent this year. So I thought for Oregon State's defense to perform like it did through the first three quarters against Colorado was really impressive. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we saw Oregon State's defense finally back intact with every everybody that you would you you would expect to be in the lineup outside of Skylar Thomas, who hasn't played all season because he tore his ACL in, in camp. So outside of him, we saw everybody that, that Oregon State would want on the field for defense on Saturday, and 78 yards says it all. I'm, I, I, I'll I buy some of what Jonathan said about the fourth quarter, about guys perhaps being a little gassed. I mean, Several of those guys were coming back off injuries. I mean, the, the altitude had to be a little bit of a factor, I would I would guess. I mean, I know athletes like you and me, we could handle it. But, you know, um, you know, we, we were doing a lot of wind sprints up in the press box, and I was feeling a little gassed in the fourth quarter. But, no, I, I could buy that, that they, you know, that, that, that was part of the issue. I mean, some of it was just – I mean, just some breakdowns too, but still, the defense looked good when they needed to look good, and and you you want the you. I mean, it makes you feel a little more, gives you a little more confidence, I guess, going to this stretch run where you're going to face two Heisman Trophy contenders, um, you know, after Stanford. So, um, and even Stanford, I mean, shoot, you want? I mean, they're not exactly, they're not exactly, you know stumbling down the stretch here they're 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 picking up some momentum so that's a you know these i guess what i'm saying is this defense played well gives you gives you some hope here coming down the stretch well and sanford to your point has done something that oregon state was not able to do this year which was go win a game on the palouse against washington state um and then played um both uh usc and uh UW well and beat Colorado. So Stanford, you know, I just can't see the Beavers losing at home um, to that team. But Stanford has certainly developed a little bit of an identity under uh, first first year coach Troy Taylor. Uh, Troy Taylor, you know, has a great reputation. Um, You know, he had Montana's number in the Big Sky Conference, which is not a small thing. Let me tell you, as somebody who paid attention to that the last few years. Um, So, I mean, he's obviously got them on the right track and they're going to be a a real – factor in the ACC for years to come. But on Saturday, do you see Sanford as a, you know, I saw you pushing back on Twitter a little bit to the, the terminology trap game, which I think it's overused in, in college sports, but do you see Stanford as a potential stumbling block for the Beavers with all that they have to play for in the final two weeks, if they can get past the card? Yeah, there's a section of Beaver fan base that any game that's not against a team that's in the top 25 these days is a trap game. I, I just feel under Jonathan, he he gets them pretty well focused for each game. They, they've done a pretty good job over his tenure of of you know doing the the cliched you know we're looking to go one and zero this week. I um, that's just been my experience. They don't really have a lot of you know lulls, I guess. And I don't know how you could look at Stanford as you know a free square like maybe you could have a couple months ago. I mean they. I mean, they held. They 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 just they've just won two road games against Pac-12 teams. Re- granted, one was Colorado, one was Washington State, but they still won those games. So at least they they can carry what they've got on the road, at least defensively. Um, 
I just, I mean, you asked me the other day, could, could Oregon State lose this game? I just know. They, they can't. If it was at Stanford, I would say yes, there's a chance. I, they're, they're not losing this game at Reeser, I, I don't think. They just play at another level at that, in that stadium, you know, with the enthusiasm for the fans and the energy it brings. And they just seem to play at another, especially the defense, seems to play at another level. Um could it be? Could it be? You know, it's a twenty point, twenty one point spread. I think could Stanford cover that? Sure, but I, I, I don't. I just, I'd be stunned if Oregon State lost this game. I mean, look. The other, thing, the other thing I want to say is that when Stanford has played good teams this year, they have not been on the field for the most part. Oregon ran them off the field. UCLA ran them off the field. USC ran them off the field. They, they, they hung with Washington, but I feel like Washington was coming off that Oregon game. They had some injuries, and they, they weren't the same Washington team that we'd been seeing. So I just feel like against good teams, Stanford is just overmatched. And, and Oregon State is a good team. I mean, they're, they're, they're in the CFP top 12 for a reason. Uh, by the way, I uh, think I said that Sanford hung with USC, and I was uh, thinking of Cal, so I conflated our Bay Area teams there. So, well, they haven't hung with they haven't hung with Cal. They haven't hung with Cal either because they play Cal this week. No, but it's USC and Cal hung with USC. Oh, oh right, right, Stanford okay, yeah, yeah, hung with yeah, USC. yeah. Um, so, man, you're as confused as if I'm describing the plot of Les Mis. Um, is there an opportunity in a, um in a uh in let's let's say it's a one-sided game um is there an opportunity for jonathan smith to get aiden child's additional series which is something that a lot of oregon state fans seem to want to see and i don't mean just in garbage time but if if you know would this be a good game to get aiden child's more than that one third series that he's had the last uh many weeks um, you know, I asked him that question after the game Saturday, then it got asked again Monday, and Jonathan, you know, said it's obviously been discussed. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think there's a possibility this game. I would say they maybe they play him the third series like they've been playing him, and maybe, maybe he comes out if they have the ball to start the third quarter. Maybe that's Maybe that's a good chance to get a second series from him or something. But, I mean, the kid, and I'm going to call him a kid because he's just turned 18. I, I don't typically call the college guys kids. But he, anyway, I mean, he's he's obviously shown us some stuff with that arm and his legs. But he's still a freshman. I mean, he, he led the Beavers to their first touchdown the other night. But, boy, there were two throws he made that, those could have been those could have been yeah. disasters, both of them. Um, and tricky and picky. And he's just, um, I mean, but boy, he's got an arm on him, and he and he and he and he gives Oregon State something they've never had is a guy that can run out of the pocket and and make plays like he did Saturday with that twenty three yard touchdown run. That's not something we've seen from an Oregon State quarterback. And so, yeah, I think everybody would like he's to got a kid. He's more. got a kid. What's that? He's got a cannon. He's got a cannon like he's firing into the barricade of the French Revolution. Red. <laughs> but so does DJ. DJ does too. I, I don't know. Absolutely. I, I think I think we would like to see a little bit more of Aiden Childs, but I'm not so sure that what they're doing right now isn't the right move. 
Yeah, I th- I think that that is uh, I think that's fair, and it's just you know it's an interesting dynamic because Oregon State does have an incumbent quarterback or a starting quarterback who, you know, like like has four years of starting experience or three years of starting experience, uh, has been very reliable and capable. You know, a little up and down here and there, but there's no there's no reason to call for DJ to um, be demoted. You know, but but the dynamic you have is you have a very very capable starter for a team that's well-ranked and well-regarded in the CFP. But you also have the franchise. You have the the future in Aiden Childs. And so, and particularly in an age of, you know, NIL transfer portal, when you know there's going to be schools trying to pry Aiden Childs out of here uh, when that when that portal opens up, you've got to um, find ways to, to keep him engaged and happy. And, and by all accounts, by the way, you know, there's no indication that Aiden Childs is, you know, is looking to jump ship. You know, he, he's, you know, by all accounts, loves Oregon state has enjoyed his time, likes learning from Jonathan Smith. So, I mean, there's not necessarily a known risk of that, but that's what you're always guarding against in college football. So um, just really a really interesting dynamic at Oregon state. Yeah. And he's um, made it clear. He's made it, it clear that in his one media interview that, Jonathan Smith is is his guy, and as long as Smith is here, I I think I think Aiden Giles is here to stay. Um, so, but right, I mean, I I, I was going to follow up a little bit about if he could get a second series. The one I could see is let's say it's twenty one to three at halftime. Um, that'd be a good situation to put him in. You know, it's first first series of the third quarter or something like that. I mean, if it's a fourteen ten game. Maybe not, but, but, you know, if Oregon State has the game, you know, well under control, I I would say maybe another series is, is, and DJ seems to be the kind of guy that's more than willing to, you know, step aside for the good of the team and and whatnot. So, but I, yeah, I would keep it in one series and, and I think, like you said, he is pretty happy. I, 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 that's my sense. Uh, Nick. If Oregon State wins this weekend against Stanford at home, which I think as a 21-point favorite, we would ex- fully expect them to, they will be 8-2. and two. Um, They will be a top 12 or 11 team in the CFP, if not higher. And they'll be hosting the currently undefeated Washington Huskies, who currently have the inside track on a CFP berth from the Pac-12. It seems likely... It that that when Washington comes to town on November eighteenth, that that is a game College Game Day will look long and hard at coming to Corvallis for. Uh, college Game Day's come to Corvallis once before for a Civil War. I don't know what year was that. Two thousand ten. Two thousand. Two thousand ten. Yeah, it was um, the Oregon game that week. Right. So I guess my question, Nick, what? how likely do you see game day uh, coming? And then let's have some fun. Who's the guest picker? Well, I, I did reach out to ESPN today and the answer was no decision has been made yet. And we, and we will, we won't know until Saturday following a few games. If we do end up at Oregon, heading to Oregon state, I'll be sure to reach out. So that's, that's the official, oh, that's the official word from ESPN. Um, yeah. Next week is shaping up to be perhaps the biggest week in Oregon State history, Oregon State sports history, and I and 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 I know you're that's a you're going to what, but 
It is. It starts with what? It starts with November fourteenth, the showdown in in the King of Colfax Funnel Cake Whitman County Fairground Funnel Cake Judge Funnel Cake, um, making the big decision on on you know who's gonna if Oregon State and Washington State get control of the of the board and and whatnot. That starts off that week, game day. Game day could be coming to Corvallis. I think it's 50-50 minimum, just based on what games are out there for that week, for that that Saturday the 18th. Um, I mean, there's 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 your Grizz and Cats playing that day, but they've been they just went they just went to that game last year. I can't see ESPN returning to a FCS site. For- yeah, I agree. As as a, I mean, it wouldn't shock me. That, you know, it, it never shocks me for when ESPN pulls a little bit of a uh, an okie doke and and goes to a Division three, Division two FCS game at the end of the season. Particularly, I think there was a year where they did Harvard, Yale, and you know Williams, Amherst, or something like that. But um, do those schools even have football teams? I'm not sure. But um, I, as a former Grizz, as a uh, great lover of the FCS. Um, you know, Montana, Montana State on November 18th, assuming the Grizz take care of business um, against Portland State in Hillsboro this weekend, you know, is going to be, you know, as big of a game as they've ever had in that rivalry, which is one of the great rivalries in college football. But to your point, last year, when it wasn't as as compelling of a matchup, when Montana was a little bit down, uh, ESPN did go to Bozeman, boo, Bozeman, uh for college game day and unleashed Pat McAfee on the unsuspecting um, citizens of Southwest central Montana. And um, I just don't see them doing that same game again in consecutive years, but I mean, those are both going to be top five teams in the FCS. Uh, It's a great atmosphere. Missoula is a better atmosphere than Bozeman, a way better tailgating scene. Way more people are going to show up in Missoula, Um, way better fans, way more, way more support for their university, less, fair weathered fly by night football fans, you know, it's in the blood, it's in the beer, it's in the bones of Missoula, Montana to show up and cheer for the Grizz. So would it shock me if ESPN said, you know what? We did the JV last year when we went to Bozeman, we saw, we got a little taste, a little amuse bouche of what cat Grizz is really like, but now we want the real thing. We want the entree. We want the varsity. So we're going to go to Missoula, Montana, where a river runs through it and where the Grizz run through the Bobcats. Would it shock me? No. No, but there's two things. I'll push back two things. One, who doesn't want to see Jonathan Smith right up on a Harley in, in, in a sleeveless hoodie going to the Pat McAfee show on Friday? I mean, don't you want to see that? Which won't happen, by the way. But I, just, I, 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 do want to, I do want to see that. <laughs> I mean, I do too, but I know that's not going to happen. But second of all, ESPN is not passing up a chance for for the potential of two top ten teams playing, um, you know, on a Saturday. If or if Oregon State moves up, if they win, they got a shot to move up to eleven, maybe even ten. If Washington takes care of business against Utah, they're going to be five or four next week. I mean, I don't care if Montana Mon State at one two. I, I I can't see ESPN passing up a top ten matchup, especially when you already have Kirk Herb Street in Corvallis or, or going to Corvallis for the game. So, 
I don't know. It's just, it just feels like it's pointing that direction if, if both yeah. these teams win. I'm not even sure. I'm actually not even sure if Oregon State wins and Washington loses this Saturday. They still wouldn't pick that game because both teams will still be around 10, 11. It's still a big game because they both still have lots to, lots to play for. Well, and that's, yeah, that's I, I was, I was going into the so week. I was going into the week and I got sidetracked there on, on anyway the 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 how big this week could be. We got the courtroom thing, we got game day, and then we got this game at four thirty prime time. You know, Oregon State and Washington with lots on the line. I mean, it's it's going to be a huge week. Yeah, and if and if, even if and, and maybe even especially. If if you Utah does beat you dub this weekend in Seattle, which I don't see, just having seen Utah a couple of times, um, <clears throat> this is not your this is not your slightly older brother's Utah team, but um, if if Utah does beat the Huskies, we are looking at a much more muddled uh, Pac-12 and a much clearer path for different teams to get to the the Pac-12 championship game because now everybody has at least one loss. Utah or excuse me. Um, you Oregon and, and UW have, would have one loss. You'd have multiple teams, a host of teams with two losses. Um, so, you know, not good for the CFP, but who, I mean, short of it being Oregon and, you know, obviously, you know, we at the Oregonian and in the state of Oregon, you know, care about Oregon making the CFP potentially in Oregon state, but I don't care about the PAC 12 as an institution being in the CFP. I don't care about Washington getting in the CFP. I don't care about USC getting in the CFP for the good of the conference, the health of the conference. I mean, that's like saying, that's like talking about the, the health of a corpse. So, um, I mean, the, the PAC 12, I mean, can, can pound sand, but, um, you know, Oregon, Oregon state. Yeah. Let's get them in the, let's get them in the CFP. Um, okay. So for that to happen, um, I don't know. I don't know where I was. Uh, Do you view that Washington game if 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 Stanford if Stanford goes by the wayside, UW takes care of Utah, Washington brings a top five team to Research Stadium in two weeks? I think it's worth looking ahead to that. I'm not so sure the Beavers aren't favored at home in that game, even with two losses, even against an undefeated national championship contender. Am I crazy? It, it, it'll be interesting. It, it, it's funny. Oregon State and Washington, the only two teams in the conference, have been favored every game this season. I mean, the Beavers have been surprisingly bigger favorites than I would. I mean, I would never have guessed them to be a 13 and a half point favorite over at Colorado and then a 21 point favorite over a Stanford team that's shown a little bit of fight here down the stretch. So pluck. They're kind of they're kind of loved a little bit in Vegas and. I, you know, depending on what Washington's injury situation is, yeah, I could see it. It's it's. It, it's going to be somewhere close to a pick'em, I would guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong on that. All right, Nick. Uh, what else do we need to talk about before we get out of here? Um, any final thoughts on Stanford, Colorado, or the rest of the season? Um, do we need to talk about uh, coaches' decisions? You know, the Jonathan Smith and Blackjack and two point conversions. Uh, Deion Sanders totally forgetting about timeouts at the end of the first half he actually thought they had three timeouts left. Oregon State had three timeouts left I mean that's just that's just un, unexplainable I don't know what the word is but 
somebody's got to get in his ear and tell him how many timeouts Oregon State's got left. That was part of the reason I think he, he demoted that person during the game. Well, he... um, <laughs> yeah, there was some weird stuff there. There was the weirdness at the end of the first half with Colorado basically gifting Oregon State a touchdown. There was um, the timeout at the end of the game with two seconds left that was uh, confusing. I wasn't. I, I went back and watched the video. It seemed like there was confusion on Dion's part as well. He was upset at the end with the way the timeouts were used at the very end of the game. The decision to um, to kick the ball away with about a minute and a half, two minutes left, um, and you know, within seven. Um, yeah, there was a lot. You know, one thing though, I don't necessarily think you need to go for two if you're Jonathan Smith in that situation when you're up um, twenty to three. You're up twenty to three. Um, with the, yeah, the difference between twenty one to three versus twenty two to three doesn't make math. You know, from a probability standpoint or from a math standpoint, you don't need that extra point. But I also think. I get the the notion that being up by an additional point is better than not, and that you have a six foot five quarterback who, you know, you you tr- and a great and one of the country's best offensive lines that you trust you can get a yard and a half or a yard and a quarter, you know, for that extra point. I sort of get the aggressive mindset. You don't need it, um, and that was the very very worst possible outcome because it ends up being a five point swing um, instead of being twenty two to three. It's twenty to five. Um, I don't know. I didn't hate that one as much as some other things. Like, I didn't hate that as, certainly as much as the fake field goal against Arizona. I mean, I think that's apples and oranges. But I mean, um, what would no, you? No, I think I, I think you, you you in that situation. I I didn't mind that call, and I know I got several emails and and people respond to me on Twitter about you know well here we go again with Jonathan the riverboat gambler and he's reckless and everything else. Blah blah blah. You run that play a thousand times. I'd say Oregon State scores 650 of them, um, gets stopped 300 and, I don't know, 349 times, and that one time they return it to for the two point for the two point play. Right. It's it, it's it, that that was that was the worst possible outcome on that play, and it just happened to, to take place, but. I, I think in that situation, the odds were in Oregon State's favor, and and I I'm with Jonathan on that one. I was not I'm obviously not with him on the on the field goal one. He he ran it at at Arizona as as just about anybody in the country was would agree, and even Jonathan would agree. So so I I would I that's one I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a pass on. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I think um, we're going to leave it there. There's more to talk about, obviously. Um, a lot more musical discourse for us to get into. You know, I saw Starlight Express once at Keller Auditorium. I don't know if you've ever seen Starlight Express by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, uh, it's on roller skates. So <laughs> there's this ro- roller skating up and down the aisles of Keller onto the stage, which was a lot of fun. I mean, Phantom of the Opera, great memories. I saw... Um, Oh my gosh. I saw Kathy Rigby in Seussical the Musical. I saw Richard Chamberlain in The Sound of Music and My Fair Lady. So many great memories of uh, of musical theater, uh, Broadway across America in Portland. Um, I'm so glad you had the opportunity to see Les Miserables. It is an all-time classic, as are you, Nick Daschle. I am, and if I am you are a, interested I, in receiving... Am I a classic or am I a relic? If you are interested in receiving some all-time classic text messages from 
myself and my colleagues, including Nick Daschle at the Oregonian, why don't you consider shooting a text to us at 503-386-0095? What's that get you? Well, I'm going to tell you. It gets you daily text messages from Oregonian sports reporters about the goings-ons of sports across the state of Oregon. That's Beavers, Ducks, Blazers, Timbers, Thorns, and high school sports. And anything in that might fall through the gaps of those particular topic areas. We're all over it, all of it, and we're texting about it every single day. So text 503-386-0095. That'll give you a link to sign up, get you two free weeks. Check it out, see if you like it. If not, you can cancel. After two weeks, $3.99. Three ninety-nine. That is, that's basically the cost of Nick Daschle's water at intermission at Les Miserables at, at Keller Auditorium. And how was that water at intermission of Les Miserables at Keller Auditorium, Nick Daschle? Uh I didn't get water. I got I got a bag of M and M's that was five dollars for a bag of M and M's. It a subscription to our texting service is less than a bag of M and M's at Les Miserables at Keller Auditorium in downtown Portland, Oregon, for the less than the price of a bag of M and M's. Peanuts or no, Nick? Uh, plain and 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 uh, I would say the texting service is way more valuable than that bag of M and M's. So so. Cheaper than a bag of plain M&M's at your favorite touring musical production. And that's a pretty hard deal to pass up. Um, Nick, you are a very, very good sport. And you're a great sports writer. Thank you for taking the time to join us on the Oregonian Sports Podcast this week and share your insights on the Beavers and the, and, and, and the great work you do covering that team. All right, we'll see you next week. You can count on it. Thank you for listening to the Oregonian Sports Podcast. For Nick Dashiell, I'm Bill Orem. Thanks for listening, and hey, shoot us that text!